Hey there, welcome back. I love a good farmer's market and I realized recently that I just might have an insider, a unique perspective on farmer's markets. Today we're going to talk about what it takes to put together a farmer's market and what it takes to become a vendor in a farmer's market. And I think that this is something that you'll be interested to hear, even if you're not interested in becoming a vendor at a farmer's market, because of what all goes into it, because there's a lot that goes into it. And then next week, on next week's show, we're going to talk about the, kind of the dark side. Today, I really just wanted to talk about the bright side of farmer's markets, because I do believe in farmer's markets. Okay, so by the way, if you're new here, welcome to the Edible Gardens podcast. I'm your host, Nanette Blair, and I'm so glad that you found us because we here, we help people create an edible and beautiful landscape that is way better than organic because I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to make good food accessible to everyone. And in my opinion, the best definition of good food is nutritious, delicious, and safe. And it doesn't get any better than picking fresh fruit, herbs, veggies, straight off the plant where you know what went into it from start to finish. And you won't find any tomato cages here. As a matter of fact, there's a lot you won't find here, including pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, or any of the other sides. But what you will find here are landscapes that are designed for beauty, reflection, fun, entertaining, and the list goes on to whatever you want. After all, it's your home, your yard, and your taste, and beauty truly is in the eye of the beholder. Okay, you know that garden you've been thinking about? Well, I know you're ready. I know I'm ready. So let's dig in. Back in episode 29, we talked about that it's not that probable that you're going to grow everything that you can eat. It's possible, but not probable. So we still have to go to the grocery store, right? We, and even better, if you can get to a farmer's market, you know, maybe somebody there grew it with the same loving care that you would have grown it. So this week, I'm going to give you my personal experience as far as being a part of the application process and the history behind several different farmer's markets that I've been to, I've been involved with. I want to say this was in my 20s, but I remember that when we would go into town on Saturdays, drive through the town square, and we were in the county seat, so it was actually the courthouse square for the county people would park their trucks there periodically with, uh, I don't know, a truckload of black-eyed peas because Athens is the black-eyed pea capital of Texas, I think, of the world. But you might see during certain months of the year people there with a truckload of watermelons or it might be a truckload of cantaloupes that was in season at the time. They just showed up. It was just whatever was in season at the time. And at some point, and I want to say that I know exactly when this is, but I couldn't tell you the year. In my mind, I know because it was about the time that we were expecting our second grandson. And the reason that I know that is because they were trying to organize everything. And I went to Los Angeles, California, for the birth of my second grandson. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. So I went to Los Angeles and we were waiting, right? <laughs> we were waiting for the baby to be born. And we did a little bit of sightseeing. We went to Grauman's Chinese Theater. I actually got to watch a movie there. That was pretty cool. 
And uh, we went hiked to the Hollywood sign, which just about killed me. But I got to go back to the LA farmer's market several times. I just loved it so much. It was just so cool. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could have something like that someday in Athens, Texas? And there was just fresh fruit and herbs and veggies just everywhere. There was a crepe station where there there was these permanent buildings within this permanent structure. It was like all open, open air, but there was a roof over it. And it was just everything that you could imagine. There was homemade dog treats. There was just all this stuff. And I was so interested in it that I went to the office. I went back by myself several times and just looked around and I took pictures and I had notes and I was going to bring this back to the committee that was forming the farmer's market back home. You know, they had live music. There was a man there that looked like, what is his name? Louis Armstrong. He was even playing a trumpet. It was just so cool. I remember I, I was taking pictures and I asked this group of men at this table, they were all tatted up and I said, hey, can I take your picture? And they said, this is just kind of a little side note here, uh, but this is something that will bug me for the rest of my life, I think. <laughs> but they, they said, well, what newspaper are you with? You know, like, who are you with? <laughs> I said, I'm not with a newspaper, I'm just taking pictures. And one of the guys got up and walked away. I was like, nah, I don't want to have my picture made. But they had a, a some kind of an English accent. It might have been Irish. I just got the feeling that they were probably a band. It might have been you 2 I don't know. <laughs> At the time, I didn't know what Bono looked like. But it's going to bug me, probably, because I've tried to find out who that band is or who those guys were. And I've asked people, hey, do you recognize these guys? And nobody knew who they were. But anyway, evidently, they were someone famous. When I went to the office and I asked whoever that office manager was there, it was kind of like a tourism thing. You walk in and you ask about, you know, the history behind it and how it was formed. And if you ever get a chance to go to the LA farmer's market, I highly recommend if you love farmer's markets and you're in LA that you go, cause it's just really, really cool. But I remember one of the things either read in the book or that they told me is that a lot of the agents back in the glamour days of Hollywood, you know, would send their clients, you know, the actors and actresses, uh, the movie stars of the time, they would send them, they would say, hey, go to the farmer's market and just kind of rub elbows with the regular people. <laughs> yeah. So I can just imagine Marilyn Monroe walking through there and people, her signing autographs or whatever. But I just thought that was really cool. As a matter of fact, I did see a couple of, people that I've seen on TV. There, it wasn't anybody big like Brad Pitt. Okay, so back to the Athens Farmer's Market. Um, the chamber kind of took over. It was a chamber of commerce. What they decided to do was set some guidelines in place. And this is pretty typical of what most farmer's markets do, at least the credible ones. So in order to become a vendor at the farmer's market, which I was, but you had to have grown your produce that you were selling. And some people did sell cows and eggs and I mean, not cows, but not whole cows, but they were selling the beef and they were selling eggs and they were selling different things besides just fruits, vegetables. Uh, some people were selling jams and jellies, but it had to be within 60 miles. I think that was their rule at the time. So you either had to be an artisan 
that was within 60 miles or you had to be growing it within 60 miles. So I got a booth and I, you know, it wasn't, I didn't have to fill out a questionnaire or anything or an application. I didn't have to have any kind of special insurance. Um, my sister had a booth and we were always, I don't remember if we were together in one booth or she had one next to mine, but it was only $10. So I want to say she probably had one next to mine and she makes the most, ugh, her food is just so good. But she was making homemade tortillas and selling those. And I think maybe she did tamales. But, you know, there was always this little old couple that I would talk to. And they were either selling squash or they were selling their homemade jams and jellies. There were people there that were selling, like, homemade soaps. Just the typical stuff that you would think of that you could find at a farmer's market. I'm going to kind of backtrack here for just a second, and I'm going to tell you about a paper that I wrote when I was in college, which is a long time ago, on Canton trade days. And I will put a link in the show notes because it's really kind of a cool story. But I imagine that this is how a lot of trade days and farmers markets, especially the longstanding ones, got started. I remember in writing this paper that it happened in the 1850s, but it was people bringing cows to sell, chickens to sell, and there was, you can just imagine there was, you know, poop and stuff everywhere, and they, they didn't have paved roads, it was dirt roads, and there was just all these people at the same time coming to sell or trade what they had, So, and they were just doing it at all days, in, in all days of the week or all hours of the day. So the county commissioner or the mayor of the time said, okay, just stop the madness. We are going to just do this every first Monday, the weekend before every first Monday. So then that's how they got started. And now this place is like over a hundred acres of just 10 by 10 tables, <laughs> you know? And since then they've built some arbors. I highly recommend that you go, it's awesome. Kind of the next step for me was when we moved to the property that we're at, and if you've been listening for very long, you know it's been about three years. I had just planted pear trees and plum trees and cherry trees and peach trees and pomegranate trees and apple trees, and I have, you know, a ton of zucchini at one time, and I have tomatoes and I have peppers and lots of herbs, just, you know, making jelly, just lots of stuff like that, and so... I started making a list of all of the farmers markets that are around me because at that time I thought that I might do that. I've decided not to and I'm going to tell you why here in just a minute. I thought about doing that so I made a list of all the farmers markets that are around me to see which ones I would want to do or if I wanted to do multiple ones and I decided not to do that because I know because I have sold it first Monday, I, it was pottery and it was a lot easier because I don't have to worry about anything being perishable, but I've kind of been to the puppet show. I've seen the strings. I know what's involved. If I were going to do farmer's markets, okay, typically they're like around from 8 a.m. till noon on a Saturday. At least that's what it's like here where I am. I knew that I would have to pick probably for a couple days before and that I would have to clean everything, package everything up, keep them organized. You know, you can't just throw everything into one bag or a box or in the back of the truck. 
And I would have to go buy some bins in order to keep things separated and organized. Depending on the month of the year, it would have to be uh, maybe refrigerated until I loaded it up in the truck and then took it to the market because, you know, it, it depends on whether it's July or it's December, whatever the time of the year was. First thought was, I don't know that I want to commit to every single Saturday. This is why I say, I think it's important for you to know if you don't have any intention of being a vendor at a farmer's market, that you understand what they went through to get that food there. Okay, this is the bright side of it. it. This is to have an appreciation and a respect for what it takes to get it from farm to the farmer's market. So I picked the one that I really wanted to be involved with. And when I say credible, this is what I mean. I went through a rigorous application process. First of all, they wanted to see my social media. They wanted to see an Instagram account. They wanted to see my Facebook account. They wanted to see my website. They wanted to see what I was doing, how I was doing it, and probably that I was bringing a following with me. You know, my Twitter account, everything that I did not know how to do at the time, I had to call my daughter-in-law and say, okay, what's a hashtag? (laughs) And it was really interesting, but you know, I'm glad that I did it. I didn't have an Instagram account at the time. I don't think I had any kind of a a business Facebook page, which I do now. It's under the name of Ediful Gardens. You can always go check us out. Love to have you join us there. And then uh, Instagram account, a Twitter account, you know, all that stuff. I put it off for a couple years and I thought, well, I'm not ready anyway because it's going to take a while for this stuff to grow. And, you know, just all of the stuff that I'm doing here, that takes a lot of time. But I knew that, again, I would have to pick for a couple of days before, wash everything, package it. So here would be what a day would look like from my own experience on a Saturday. I would have to probably get up about 4 a.m., after picking for two days and washing everything and, you know, organizing it, packing everything up, then I would have to load up my truck. And this is the way most farmers are. They're not going to live downtown Fort Worth, which is the one that I was looking at. It was uh, the Clear Fork Farmer's Market. Again, I highly recommend that one. It's a great one. Uh, They wanted to have a copy of my food insurance. I would need to bring a banner, so that meant I need to have a banner made. I would need to have some kind of a merchandising plan because you can't just show up and put everything in your bins up on top of the table. You need to make make it look appealing, and then every time somebody buys something, you, you you pull more peaches or whatever out from under the table and then put them into the basket. And I needed to have bags to sell to. I needed to have cards. There's a lot of... Um, merchandising and marketing that goes into that process. But let's get back to the day of. So get up about 4 a.m. I live almost an hour outside of downtown Fort Worth. So by the time I drove there, I would have to be set up before 7.30 a.m. And then even if I sold out of everything, I can't just leave whenever it's noon, whenever the whole thing's over. So out of respect of the, you know, the the patrons that are coming in and out of the gate where you get into this place, I can't be carrying tables and all my bin, my empty bins and everything else. So I just have to stay there. 
So you're either gonna sell out because you didn't bring enough or you're not gonna sell out because you brought more than enough. Okay, so if I bring more than enough, that means I'm gonna have food left over. So what do I do with it? Do I come home on a Saturday and then can everything, dehydrate everything, freeze everything? Do I give it away? Do I give it to the food pantry? You know, what, what goes into what's left over? So yeah, I mean, I had been through the process of setting up, tearing down, and you know, I just didn't think that I wanted to commit to every single Saturday for a year. But you know, I would also need to have um, help there, whether it was a friend or whether it was someone that I hired, because if someone wants to talk to me about how I grow my stuff or what goes into it, and that's what I do when I go talk when I go to a farmer's market, I always ask the farmer questions. What do they spray with? How do they manage pests? Like what's on that food? When I say at the beginning of every show, what went into it from start to finish, the only way you can know is if you grow it yourself. And that really truly is, you know, the case. Yeah, there's a lot involved with a vendor that sets up at a farmer's market. Another thing that they wanted to know is can they visit my place for an inspection? Like, can they actually, would I be willing for them to come here and actually see that I'm growing what I say I'm growing here? Which I totally, totally respect that. And I, I really appreciate that um, because there are some people that say they grew it, but they didn't. So I totally get that. And I, yeah, I'm always happy for someone to come look at my gardens. I love showing it off, especially because I love the surprise look on people's faces whenever they say, okay, where's your garden? Well, it's right here. It's all edible landscaping, right? There's the peppers right in there. There's the ochre right in there, but you can't tell because it's not rows and rows and rows of just one thing because of the way that I grow it. It's very companion planting, very food foresty, very um, just all mixed together. And I did get approved for that, and I was really excited. It was such an honor to be approved for that because a lot of these farmer's markets that are very credible, it's hard to get into. There's a waiting list. And most of the time, if they have someone that's an artisanal bread maker, then they don't want someone else come. They don't want to have like 20 artisanal bread makers there, right? If they have someone that's doing a really good job with jams and jellies, they don't want to have a lot of people selling jams and jellies. They want to have a good diversity of vendors. And I've been to farmer's markets where everybody's selling the same thing in every single booth. And that's not special. You know, you when you get out for a day, because I've been to a lot of farmer's markets, I want to see a lot of different stuff. I want to see a lot of unique stuff. I don't want to go from booth to booth to booth and see the same thing over and over and over again. That's not what a good farmer's market is all about. You know, some people collect t-shirts and coffee mugs. I guess I kind of collect farmer's markets, but I've been to a lot of them. If you're wanting to start a farmer's market in your own town, then I would just contact your chamber of commerce. That really is the best place to start. They may tell you some history of, yeah, we tried that once, but it didn't work out. Well, if it didn't work out, I would ask them why it didn't work out. And maybe go get some examples from some other chambers of commerce that you know that they're doing it and they're doing a good job and kind of interview them, ask some questions, and then bring it back to your chamber of commerce. But I would say there's 
strength in numbers. So if you have several people that are like you, that you know, that would want to do it as well, then I would say y'all get together first and then approach your chamber of commerce or maybe even start a Facebook page. Hey, would anybody be interested in having a local farmer's market here in our town? And then I wouldn't worry so much about the fancy application process, even though I do believe that it brings you a lot more credibility, but I would put some rules and regulations in place. And again, we're gonna get into that next week, uh, the dark side of farmer's markets. I would just, you know, simply have the rule that Again, it doesn't have to be too fancy or have a board of directors. We have committee meetings all the time, at least not at first. But I would say it has to be within so many miles of this town, wherever your town is. Then it needs to be grown or made somewhere within, I don't know, 50 miles, 25 miles, whatever you set out. Because what will happen is a lot of people will just start bringing junk there you know, made in China, because they're just looking for something to sell. That really does detract a lot away from the credibility when people show up. Maybe there's one booth that has a sack of potatoes, <laughs> you know, and there's nothing else that's um, farmery about it. So what's the big takeaway here? I think it just all comes down to this. It's just having an appreciation. If you have no interest in starting a farmer's market or becoming a vendor at a farmer's market, then I hope that you kind of walked away with an appreciation of what goes into it because it's a lot. Food insurance, the, the picking, the cleaning, the setting up, the all of the time that it took to grow it in the first place, the banner, the insurance, just everything that's involved, the tearing it down. I mean, you know, you're, you are there from maybe eight until noon, but they've been working on it for seven days a week, basically. Yeah, they really, really have. Yeah, and if you are interested in becoming a vendor at a farmer's market or setting up a farmer's market in your own hometown, it's really, you know, setting up the farmer's market, it's not hard. Probably several people together and then approach your chamber of commerce or just hey, say, hey, can we go set up at the town square? Because is there anything wrong with me parking my truck here? Or call the police station and say, hey, do I need a permit for this? And then you just go set up and you let everybody know on your Facebook page, hey, I'm going to be set up at the, the square. But just get permission first because you don't want to be surprised by someone saying, hey, you have to pack everything up and go home. But I would really approach the Chamber of Commerce first. And they may tell you that it falls under the jurisdiction of the Department of Tourism, just depending on your your town or your county or your state, whatever their rules and regulations are, you need to find out about that first. You might even contact your extension agent and see if they know anything about it. Also, I forgot to tell you, when I was in Los Angeles, loved going to the farmer's market, but on Fridays, they had a pop-up farmer's market. So my son and his wife lived on Wilshire Boulevard and they lived in this, I call it the penthouse. It was like a high-rise apartment building and then underneath it had all these shops and you know nail salons and places to eat and kind of this little courtyard area. Well on Fridays they had a pop-up farmers market so all these people would come in and sell all this produce and all these different things and, but it was a pop-up 
you might even think about doing that. If you're looking for a place and your town is saying, no, you can't do that, then maybe you contact a place of business that really wants to drive traffic to their business or wants to get people to at least pull into their parking lot or they're not open on this day or whatever, and you can set it up there. And just make sure that you have all the little boxes ticked with what's cool or not cool uh, as far as permits or city ordinances or regulations. So, and you know, it, it just takes a few phone calls really to find out about it. But next week, you're going to really want to be sure to tune in for the dark side of farmer's markets. And I split this show up for a really good reason because I really love a good farmer's market. And I just wanted to talk about the bright side of farmer's markets first and how much I love them and how much I am totally 100% behind them. I think what they're doing is a good thing. But there's some things that I think that you will want to know about. And we're going to talk about that next week. And that'll do it for this episode. If you want to hear more about how to grow your own food in a beautiful landscape, then be sure to hit that subscribe button. And better yet, once you've had a chance to listen, I'm really curious which part of this episode resonated for you. I know I always say that. But if you review the show and if you rate the show, it helps other people find the show. Did you guys know, and I'm so excited about this, I just recently found out we're like number 34 podcast in the United States. Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited. I mean, we've only been doing the show for not even a year yet, and oh, I just feel so honored. And then I found out, I started looking at, you know, these different other countries, and we're like the top 100 in about five different countries which is really cool. I keep saying, I wonder if they just want to hear what a Texan sounds like. <laughs> I wonder if it's like, you know, because I'll talk to some of the listeners and they'll say they're from up north somewhere. They're from another country and they'll say, I just love your accent, which I'm always so self-conscious about my accent when I'm talking to someone. I have to throw a, a big word in there every once in a while just to kind of make up for the, you know, they say that if you have a southern accent, then you're IQ points get deducted like 20 points, whatever. <laughs> anyway, I appreciate so much. But you know what? If, if you were to rate and review the show, it just helps other people find the show. And if you're really enjoying it, as much as I know people have told me you are and that you're sharing it, and I really appreciate that so much. If you're really enjoying it that's that much, I just would love to have other people be able to find it easier. And that's really what it means to me. It's, it's to me, what really, really, really warms my heart is when I hear someone say, you know what, you've inspired me. I'm going to start growing at least some of what I eat at home. I really want to hear from you. And I appreciate the emails. I appreciate the text messages, or not the text messages, the private messages and the direct messages on Instagram and Facebook. I really, really appreciate that. And I have a starter guide that I created. It's a PDF. It's three easy, doable steps. This is the best way that I know how to help you start your own edible garden. And you can find it at ediblegardens.com forward slash start. It's real easy. It has pictures and everything. But this is the one way I know that I can make things easier for you to be able to do that. And remember, this podcast is dedicated to you so that we can all put good food on the table. Until next week, bye for now. Thank you.